Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, uh, I do want to welcome you guys here again today. Uh, Thank you for being here at Grace Hill. Uh, Like I said earlier, uh, we start a new series today called A New Kind of Christian. And uh, if you missed the first part of the service today, I explained that really today is about an hour and 15 minute long message that I'm going to spare you an hour and 15 minute long message and split it into two parts. And so just kind of be ready for that. Uh, You're still going to get out of on time today with church. Uh, We're just going to pick up part two of this week's message next Sunday. So just kind of know that going into it. Um, We every single day, every single day, whether it's social media, television, on your drive to work, uh, uh, it could be in your schools, it doesn't matter. Every single day, we are bombarded with images about brands, are we not? Now, I am a, an, a, kind, of a kind of a hack marketing branding uh, nerd. I, I love reading about it. I love trying to understand the science behind it. I love looking at logos and design and figuring out how that logo came to be. I'm reading a book right now called Disney War is the name of the book, and it was about all the turmoil that happened in the 80s and the 90s with Disney. And, and it's fascinating to me to talk as they talk about their, their branding and their marketing. I love it. it. It's just a side little hobby for me. I love reading books about it. But we're bombarded with these images every single day, and I thought what I would do to to sort of prove the point instead of talking about it, I thought I would show a few on the screen. So this is a little audience participation, okay? I'm going to put a logo up on the screen, a brand up on the screen, and I want you guys to shout out the name, okay? Not like, but actually like say it out loud where we can all hear the name of the logo. So here we go. Here's the first one. What is this? Nike, absolutely, there you go, hey, I like that. Now I'm curious, anybody in the room got Nikes on today? Anybody wearing their their tennis shoes? Yeah, I got a few folks with Nikes on. I love Nikes, Uh, Nike outlet here in town is really, really cool. Okay, how about this one? This is the next one. That one's pretty easy, right? Kind of gave you that one, that one was pretty easy. Okay, all right, how about this one? Yeah, a little hometown. Uh, How many of you guys know where the hidden, the little hidden gems are in the FedEx logo? Really? That's it? That's all that know who the, where the hidden gems are? Okay, you're going to learn something. You may not learn anything else today, but you're going to learn something. Look underneath the E. This is the Helvetica font. This is a fascinating font. Look under the E. You see, you'll see a spoon right there. Okay? That's cool. And now look between the E and the X, and you'll see an arrow. You will never be able to look at the FedEx logo the same ever again. There's an arrow between the E and the X, and they chose that font for that very reason right there because of how those two letters line up. Okay? Let's go on to the next one. What's this one? Yeah, all the guys, you, you, you were hesitant on that one. I was really tempted to put the Alabama Crimson Tide logo up first. And then the Clemson logo up right next to it, but I, I, I wanted to keep my friends today, so we just went with the Patriots, okay? We got uh, one more, I think. Apple, Apple absolutely. Uh, love the computers, love the products, love, I mean, we, we run on Apple here at Grace Hill Church. Last one is this. How about this one? Mercedes-Benz, the car I will never drive. <laughs> when we look at these logos... When, when, when the Nike symbol comes up, when the FedEx logo comes up, when the Patriots team comes up, the logo, we all begin to think about something, don't we? 
We begin to think about that pair of shoes, I do at least, that was the Air Jordans that my friend had in 1990 that were so cool. I believe the, they, that was the year they came out with the white ones with the black patent leather that went around it. Some of you guys, you remember those shoes. Yeah, yeah, you remember those. I wanted those so bad. You know what I ended up getting? The knockoff Kmart brand that were not nearly as cool and probably not nearly as comfortable. You see, each of these logos and each of these brands means something to you if you've, part, if you've had their product before. Or if you're a fan of their team. Or maybe you've got one of their devices in your pocket. You see, each of you look at that logo and think about an experience that you have. So what would happen if I put the next brand up? If I put the next logo up on the screen, what would our, what would our thoughts be? What would be conjured up in our mind? What experiences would we go to if I put the word Christian up? You see, whether you agree with this or not, Christian is very much a brand. Christian is very much a, a, an iconic word that for every one of us, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not, that could be the reason why you are, in a way, and that could also be very much a reason why you are not. You see, what do we think about when we think about the word Christian? For some of us, maybe we, we think about a denominational background, that you are connected to a certain denomination, and, 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 and that word and that denomination just seem married together in a way. For some of you, you're here today, and it's a huge step of faith for you just to be in the room. Why? Because there is so much pain associated with that word. Because someone who claimed to be that hurt you in a way that people around you who didn't claim to be that have never done. And there's a disconnect for you when you think about the pain associated with the brand connected to that pain. It just hurts too deep. Some of us, when we think about that word, we think about the word right. It could be right standing with God. It could be on the right side of, a, of an argument. It could be on the right side of a worldview. And others of you, everything that you know about that word... Every experience you've ever had with someone associated with that word just feels wrong. It just feels wrong. And, and what I want to say to each and every one of you today who, who have been associated with Christian Christianity in some way and also associated with pain that came from that relationship or that connection, I'm sorry. My prayer to you and my prayer for you is that over the next several weeks as we go back and as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, my prayer is that this message, this series will give you some hope because I know for a fact that if I had experienced what you had experienced and I know that if I had seen what you saw, I would probably feel the exact same way. And so I want to say to you that, that I'm really, really sorry for that. And all of this is not just preacher talk, the pain that comes with this word. You could have been a, a, a Christian for 30 years. It's the only thing you've ever known. 
And you may be oblivious to the fact that there could even remotely be pain associated with this idea of Christian. And so George Barna, it's a a big research group. They released a, a lot of research over the last several months trying to help pastors and church leaders understand the culture that is going on in the fastest growing de-churched, largest people group in the United States right now, and that is the generation of millennials. These are not my numbers. These are numbers that you can easily Google, easily access. This is dramatic. Only 4%, 4% of the millennial generation are Bible-based believers. Now, again, millennials, typically the range that you look at in millennials, you'll get some different numbers with different people, but, but the safe number is usually about 20 to 22 to about 35 is the range of millennials when we think about this people group. The next stat is sort of coincide with that. 96% of millennials likely don't live out the teachings of the Bible, value the morals of Christianity, and probably, probably won't be found in a church. This is another scary stat. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile, which is an all-time low. This This is in our backyard, guys. The next statistic is 59% of millennials raised in our churches, 59% of them that have raised in a church have dropped out, meaning they have walked out the back door after they've sung the songs, after they've heard the teaching, after maybe they've experienced community in some way, and they've said, nope, not for me. I'm not going back. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stand, meaning... Meaning, the church does more harm than it does good. And the reality for us is this. The reality for each and every one of us is this. Is that the millennial generation in America right now should hit close to home because for some of you in the room, those 20 to 35-year-olds are your grandkids. And you've experienced the pain of them walking away from church. For for some of you, the 25 to 20-year-old to 35-year-old generation are your children. And you've been the one to get them dressed in their Sunday best and bring them to church on a Sunday morning to experience life in community with other Christians. And now as they have become adults, they have said, I'm out, Mom. I'm out, Dad. You see, this 25 to, this 20 to 35-year-old generation, some of you who fit that demographic, you may even feel on the edge yourself. You, 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 it's kind of a coin toss right now, because you've been giving this whole God thing a chance, you've been giving this whole church thing a chance, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to work for you. It could be your peers, but the The thing that hits closer to home for me, because my oldest is 11, she'll be 12 this year. I'm 36, so I'm right on the line of the millennial and then young Gen Xers. The scary thing for me is this. This is the generation that we're leaving the church with. Pastor 
age across the board has increased from 45. The average age of a senior pastor 10 years ago was 45. The average age of a pastor now in America is 55. Because the young generation is walking away from some version of the Christian faith that they have experienced. And so how could something so important conjure up so many different definitions and invoke so many different emotions and conclusions that we could draw about being a Christian? It has to make us as Christ followers, as Christians, as people who fall under that label, fall under that brand, go, man, where did this all come from? Where did we get off track? What, what is happening? I, I don't quite understand And so I think to discover how we can be a new kind of Christian in a new world that we wake up and live in every single day, and make no mistake, those numbers are just the tip of the iceberg of how our culture and our world is so rapidly and quickly changing. I think to discover how we go forward from here How we invest in the next generation of leaders that are coming in behind us. I think what we have to do is we have to go back. And that's what we're going to spend the next several weeks doing. This is not some new church program that we're getting ready to roll out. This is not some new uh, 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 class that we're going to ask everybody to go to. What we are simply going to do is we are going to go back to the early church. And we are simply going to go back to the early teachings of Jesus And look at what was done. And look at what was said. And for all the Christians in the room, I hope that what the next several weeks will do is sort of, it will lift your expectations a little bit. For some of us, maybe we've gotten stuck in a rut. We've gotten sort of uh, stagnant in our faith. And maybe the next several weeks will, will be some sort of encouragement and motivation for you to break out of that. And my big prayer is, My big prayer is that if you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you would consider yourself not associating with that brand, maybe you fit some of those demographics. My hope is that over the next several weeks, we can paint, I can paint a radically and dramatically different picture of the Christian faith than maybe what you've experienced in our Americanized Western civilization, watered down version of Christianity. So what I want to to encourage each of you to do is to begin to think about somebody. You know somebody, I know somebody, who would be very distant to the Christian faith. It could be a spouse, it could be a, a son, a daughter, it could be a relative, just a distant relative, it could be a coworker. And I really do, I want you to begin to think about that person, and I want you to begin to talk to that person over the next several weeks. And maybe... That conversation would be a bridge for you to bring them here, and we could begin this dialogue with your friends and your family who maybe are far from the Christian faith, and talk about what it means to be a new kind of Christian. So if we're going to go back, where do do we go? What's interesting that this word, Christian, only shows up in the Bible three times. That's all it shows up. The word Christian only shows up in the Bible three times. I'm going to give us the three scriptures so you can write these down, or if you're tracking in your YouVersion app, you can follow along there. Acts 11. It's one of my favorite passages in in all of Acts. This is when the church at Antioch is exploding. Saul has, has just had this incredible transformation of his heart. 
This guy was killing Jews. He was killing the early Christians who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. He was killing them. He was trying to rid the world of the way, as it was called. And Saul has had this incredible conversion. And there's, there's a guy that goes from, from, from Tarshish to find, his name is still Saul. It's not Paul yet recorded here. And this is what is said. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Acts 26, 28. Now Paul, who was Saul in Acts 11, he's now Paul in Acts 26, 28. He's in a conversation with a guy. He's in a conversation with a person, and and the conversation is recorded, and it goes like this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be, and here's our word, a Christian? And then Peter, he has a couple of books that he wrote. And in 1 Peter 4, 16, uh, Peter says this, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You see, the first century church did not call themselves Christians. That was not the label that they put on themselves. Actually, the first century church was given that name by outside forces. They were given that name as really as something that was a derogatory statement against them. I'll give you a couple of historical quotes here. These are not in the Bible. These are just documented history facts that we have. In, uh, in, in, the, the early, in 8060s, somewhere in there, Nero had come in and he had decided that he was going to burn Rome. And he ended up blaming the burning of Rome on the Christians. Again, it was trying to stamp out the way. And so we, we have this writing. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. He goes on and he says, Christus, meaning Jesus Christ, from whom uh, the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our own procreators, Pontius Pilate. You see, this name was given to them to reflect their affiliation. It wasn't given, this name wasn't given to them to reflect their values. And see, what what they were trying to do is they, it was mean, this name was given to them to try to limit the followers of Jesus Christ to just a man, not God. You see, this name was given to the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus Christ. Because this moment of following Jesus, this this movement of Jesus Christ was supposed to end in death, not be a movement that would go on for eternity. It was meant to constrain the followers of Jesus to some out-of-touch ideas that made them outsiders, not a changed life that produced an unstoppable influence on the whole world. You see, what the the early people were trying to do to the Christians was stamp them out. And if they couldn't do it by killing them, then they certainly would do it by misbranding them, by mislabeling them. 
They wouldn't connect their affiliation to a movement, and they sure wouldn't connect it to God. So they would try to just connect it to a moment, and they would try to just connect it to a man. So that's a little bit of the history of where we get the word Christian from. Now, please hear me. I I know one of the temptations in this, because some of you guys take every single thing that anybody says in your life to the furthest literal extreme. I am not up here advocating that we, you know, scratch Christian off of, you know, our vocabulary and never use it again. What I am trying to do for each and every one of us, though, is I want to elevate and I want to raise the standard. And I want to reclaim that high ground of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so, if that was the name that was given to them was Christian, what was the name that they gave themselves? Well, let's go back in history. Let's go back in time. And, and let's actually discover what name they gave themselves. Because, see, I'm not as much concerned about the name that was given to them by outsiders who didn't understand Jesus and only wanted to stomp out this, this moment and stomp out a man. I'm concerned about what those who were close to Jesus, who followed Jesus, who sat around the campfire with Jesus as he prepared a a breakfast on the shore for all of these men who had deserted him in the time when he needed them the most. What, What was the word that was given to them then that they identified with, that they embraced? Well, if you Google this word, you will see tons of references in the New Testament to this word. And I'm just going to give you a couple. Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread. And let me just say this, push pause on that, is whenever there is a movement of God, whenever, whenever there is, is, is this in-touch reality that happens with God, the movement spreads. We see that all through the New Testament. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds gathered. In the early church, they added to their numbers day in and day out. So we as a church can't be afraid of that. It's it's a very clear picture here in Scripture what happens when the gospel begins to spread in a community. Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Then in Acts 9.26, when he, Paul, this is right after Saul's conversion, when he, speaking of Paul, came to Jerusalem, and don't miss this, this is so powerful, he tried to join the disciples. Now this is a guy who had been trying to kill all of the disciples. This is a guy who had been trying to stamp out the way. This was the the Jewish most Jew of all the people. And he has had this incredible experience and encounter with Jesus. And now he is going to Jerusalem to try to join the very movement that he was trying to stomp out. It says that he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. And so the real question for us to ask, and again, I I want you guys to, to hold this as we talk through these next several weeks. 
the real question to ask is, not are we Christians, but are we disciples? You see, the reason why that is so important is because I bet if most of us went around and began to talk about what it means to be a Christian, and we put all those different ideas about being a Christian in a, in a bucket, and we began to pull all of those out and read them, the ideas about being a Christian would look very, very different, wouldn't it? Some might say being a Christian is being judgmental. We talked about that a few weeks ago in the Below the Waterline series. Jesus said, do not judge. Some of us might say that, that, that being a Christian is, is, is having a, a, a bigoted heart. Some of us might have had incredible experience with, with Christians. And we'd say, I've never felt the love that I felt with Christians before. I've never felt as welcomed as I have felt when I've been around Christians. I was hurting, and I got around Christians, and they helped me. You see, the definition can be, in our culture today, very, very loose about what it means to be a Christian. But oh, when we start talking about being a disciple... Things get narrow. Jesus doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what it means to be a disciple, about how we talk and how we treat and how we respond to one another. And so what I want to do today is I just want to give you one snapshot. I want to tease out where we're going to go next week. And I want to just sort of put this out there to, one, encourage you today, and if you're not a Christ follower, maybe to give you a little bit of hope That this just isn't about behavior modification and being a better person. It's about following something and someone that is greater. Following something that we can have hope in beyond ourselves. Following someone who laid his life down for us when we did not deserve it. So I want to leave you guys with this one little snapshot before we close the message today. This is the the end of Jesus' earthly life before he is illegally arrested, illegally tried, and then hung on a cross and died. And he gathers together, as much of you in this room would do, if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die, tonight you would gather with those who are the closest people to you. And you've got one shot to tell those people that you love so much. You've got one shot to to tell them something that you hope sticks with them. And they hang on to. And it impacts their life. And these are the words that Jesus said to his closest friends, the men that he had invested the last three years of his life with. He said this in John 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, I read that, and because I've been following Jesus Christ for a long time, and I've got a little bit of background in in understanding what's going on here, I know what Jesus is talking about. 
You, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a while and have heard this passage taught or studied, you understand what Jesus is talking about. That Jesus was getting ready to go away, not because he didn't love them anymore or want to be near them. It's because he was going to go and rescue humanity. He was going to go and willingly offer his life on a cross, defeat death, and rise again and become a, a bridge for all of humanity back to God. But imagine these fishermen and these tax collectors. I sometimes think about the disciples a little bit like how I think about my, my children. I, I'm sorry I do, just because you I see that behavior reflected in them a lot. And imagine how devastating these words would be to the disciples, because the proximity to Jesus had been so close over the last three years. They ate meals with Jesus. They saw him perform incredible miracles. Jesus elevated their status. I mean, they became known in the land. They weren't just fishermen and tax collectors anymore. Now they were the disciples. They were followers of Jesus. They had the authority to cast out demons. And if any of you have ever had a an 18-month-old or a two-year-old go through separation anxiety, I can imagine there's a little bit of this that's beginning to happen in the disciples' hearts. What do you mean we, we can't go with you? I mean, this was their, in a way, this, Jesus was their status symbol. And now Jesus is saying, you, you can't go with me, but I'm getting ready to tell you something you can do. And this is what Jesus says. A new command I give you, meaning this is, this is unused. This is, this is not part of the old law that we see in the Old Testament. This is something brand new. A new command I give to you. And remember, these are some of Jesus' last words. This is his last speech to these guys in a way. He's got one shot, and what does he say? He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Meaning to value, to cherish one another. To hold in esteem. To hold in high regard to put others' needs and value others above yourself. He's not commanding us, and he wasn't commanding them to feel something. He was commanding us as followers, as disciples, as Christians to do something. He says, as I also have loved you, And again, this statement was about to not yet fully realized by the disciples, but we read it and we understand the implications of this. Jesus is saying, as I also have loved you, as I'm about to lay my life down for you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then don't miss this. And maybe this is where we've missed it. Maybe this is where generations before us have missed it, and if we're not careful, maybe this is where we, the future generations, will miss it. Jesus says this, by this, everyone, and do you know what the Greek, this is fascinating, do you know what the Greek word right there, everyone, means? This is incredible. You know what the Greek word there means? Everyone. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples because of who you vote for, because of how you badger those that don't believe in Jesus on Facebook, because of how you 
posture your marriage to your friends and to your neighbors. No. By your church attendance, the whole world will know you're my disciples. By the buildings that we build, by the incredible, no. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, what if we put, and we're not going to, but what if we put the word Christian up on the screen again? And the very first word that came to your mind when that word went on the screen was love. What if you walked in tomorrow holding an envelope or holding a sheet of paper and it had the word Christian on it and you walked into the break room at work or you walked into your homeroom class in the morning and you held that card up and you walked up to your people and you said, what do you think about when you think about this word? And every single person that you ran across said, love. Imagine the condition of our city. Imagine the condition of our world. Think about what has transpired in the last hundred years of our world and what could have been different. There would have been no need for civil rights movement if the Christians had just embraced this. There would be no racial tension happening in our city right now if Christians had just got this one thing right. The divorce rate of our homes would be oblivious if we had just gotten this one thing right. And our churches and our neighborhoods would look radically different if we had just gotten this one thing right. So my question to you today is, are you a disciple? Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. We can't even begin to comprehend the emotion that you must have had that night because you were fully God and fully man. And you knew what was going to happen ahead of you 